Hey guys, do you sleep on mattresses? Yes. Yes. All the time. Every night. I've been sleepless lately. Uh, I'm not sure if my mattress is doing it for me. Do you need a new mattress? Well, we can't offer you one because we're not a sponsored podcast. Instead, listen to our podcast because it'll put you to sleep. It's uh, the Film in Canada podcast. It's a podcast about Canadian movies. I'm William. I'm Chris. And I'm Alexander. What are we talking about today? Heavy metal. Yeah, heavy metal. All right. Heavy metal! (laughs) (laughs) Metal, it comes from hell. (laughs) It is uh, the 1981 Canadian co-production with other countries uh, animated anthology movie. And it's pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's a total garbage movie. <laughs> it takes a while to get to the... Um, it does. It does. The part we wanted you to hear is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait for it. All right. Beautiful fade. <laughs> Loving that fade. <laughs> okay. Um, heavy Metal, released in 1981. I think we have three perspectives or, um, or like entry points to this movie. You have a call? Sorry. <laughs> Don't let me stop you, Quint. I think we have three different entry points to this movie. Um, this is probably Alexander's first time seeing it. Yes. And I didn't catch up with it until um, like my later teens because it was the movie I was not allowed to watch. Because of boobs. Because of boobs, yeah. Um, and, and vulvas, <laughs> as, as, yeah. as described in the parental guidance yeah. section of IMDb. <laughs> Uh, I'm always curious. Anytime that there's, anytime that there's excessive nudity in a movie, I always look up what the descriptions are at IMDb because they're they're always so clinical and and strange. They say the word vulva. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and Chris, what's your entry point to this? Uh, well, my brother had the album. My middle brother, uh, so he probably. I just remember it had obviously gorgeous cover art, and it was a double album. I don't think I saw the movie until. Geez, I don't know. Whenever it came out on VHS. Okay. Paul saw it. Uh, he couldn't be here today to talk about it, but he said he stayed up until midnight and watched it on something called First Choice, which was Canadian Super Channel. And it was, again, for boobs. It was, it was the, uh, the movie, pay TV movie channel back right. in, the, That's right. in the day. Yeah, when yeah. they started doing that service. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay. But you're... But because of the music, because of mm-hmm. like the album cover, that's what got you into it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what got me interested was the boobs. Uh, I mean, um, <laughs> what got me interested was the covers of the, of the magazines. Cause, uh, oh, so yeah. Heavy Metal was the American version of a, like a science fiction type magazine that originated in Europe. 
Um, but um, like when when I was younger, I'd I'd go visit my cousins in White Rock, and they had that like a general store on the lower level, and then they they lived upstairs. So if we were staying over for the weekend, when they closed the shop, we could go downstairs and like get some stuff off of the. Oh, oh, don't wow. wait. No, no, calm no, down. I'm, calm I'm down. No, we get stuff off of the comic book rack. I hear you. Yeah. Not judging. <laughs> we would, so, you know, we'd binge on comic books um, if we're staying over for the weekend. But on that, you know, on the magazine rack, at the very top where kids couldn't reach would be your penthouse and Playboy and all that stuff. But the rack immediately below it, so it was not quite there, not quite out of reach, but, but still, like, you're not supposed to touch it, was National Lampoon and Heavy Metal and all those. And the cover art, the fantasy cover art for heavy metal looks awesome. Oh, it it's is. Like you yeah. want to look inside this magazine, yeah. except it says it's for adults. And it's like, why? Why? <laughs> uh, robots and Valkyries. And yeah. you know, I was like, oh, I want it. <laughs> and boobs. <laughs> so are, is the movie any sort of adaptation of content from the magazine then? Or? A couple of the stories. So it's, a, it's an yeah. anthology type um, movie where there's a, a couple of stories that that are bookended by the by a connecting story. A couple of the individual stories are adaptations of stories from the magazine. Mm. Yeah. And like like peeking behind the curtain when and peeking behind this cover, the I, I feel heavy metal the movie is a total disappointment when you look at the cover art. Even even the poster <laughs> art for heavy metal, I think, is a classic um, magazine cover. Yeah. Where it's it's a lot of airbrushing and there's oh, yeah. like a woman, there's a skimpy, scantily clad woman, yeah. riding some kind of lizard creature and she's got a sword. <laughs> it's it looks so amazing. Yeah, and that story is 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 like the main featured story in the movie. It looks super cheap. It, oh yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. a total downgrade. Yeah, it so it is. This movie is full of disappointment. Yeah. Apparently, the magazine was incredibly expensive to publish. I think because it looked so damn good, there there was no way that this movie could be as glossy and polished as that magazine, which I think they put mm. a lot of production into. Mm-hmm. I also speaking of the covers, the cover. I don't know if this was the I don't know if this was the cover of the of the magazine as well, but in the top left corner of the album cover it says heavy metal. And it's got the cheesy, like, the, the heavy is bending down because it's so heavy. <laughs> so, like, the, the typeface is, like, crushing the metal. Um, but the the font design, it's kind of like a chrome on the top and then, and then kind of like a bronzier color at the bottom. Um, and that was a common, like, clip art or whatever effect on earlier versions of PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I have to yeah. say. Was it called the heavy metal effect? I don't know what it was. But... <laughs> well, you know what the cover art reminds me of? It reminds me of Stephen Colbert presents Stephen Colbert's Alpha Squad 7, A Tech Jansen Adventure with Lady Nocturne. Do you guys remember the 800-page novel that Stephen Colbert pretended he couldn't get published? No. Which was about the adventures of Tech Jansen? <laughs> that's what this cover art looks like, is Stephen Colbert's fake Tech Jansen uh, novel. Nice. Yeah. And it looks like the poster for Conan the Barbarian, if you guys remember. Yeah. Conan the Barbarian mm. um, mm-hmm. movie poster. I think that, and like a Nazareth album, uh, Roger Dean albums, Peter Max art. Like it really is very much a product of its time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So you mentioned it's an anthology. 
I didn't. I didn't know that it was until about halfway through. Okay. <laughs> Just Whoa! Because... You were expecting those things to make sense to well, one yeah, another. Well, yeah. No, because because like, I guess every the thing that ties together all the stories is this magical green orb that you mean the Lochnar is radioactive the and some I, of I, all evils. I, right? I don't. I don't want to dignify it with a name. But, <laughs> um, so yeah, when it goes off in the second story or whatever, I was like, oh, okay, so like this is going to come back at some point, but then it just doesn't. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I was just very confused about halfway through. But what I found more, even like, I guess more disorienting was the fact that the opening story, maybe not, maybe not quite the opening or yeah, not quite the opening because it's not the, the guy bringing it down to earth. And the and the little girl is like trapped in the when the Corvette the is released whatever. from the spaceship. Yeah, and comes to. <laughs> um, oh, and so we know that a fan of this was Elon Musk, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess it, the image of an astronaut behind a convertible in space. Mm-hmm. I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, so the 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 first kind of main story is in New York City in the future, and the taxi driver like saves the woman who has possession of this magical orb. And, and I guess part of the reason that I thought that it was a connected story is because I thought that she was the young girl from the beginning. Cause she was like, I had this thing for so long. Anyway, but I think what made me think that, okay, this is going to be some longer narrative is because they spent so much fucking time developing this piece of shit taxi cab driver <laughs> character. <laughs> whose name is Harry Canyon. but like he's just he's just the shittiest dude and and like but then he's also talking about how he's like in love with this woman and so i'm thinking okay this is this is this is this is kind of revolutionary. It's before Blade Runner, and they're doing this futuristic neo noir. It looks like Luc Besson's uh, Fifth Element. Yeah, with the taxi cabs and the Bruce Willis character. Yeah, and um. And then, and then it just completely falls to shit because they 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 forget about all of those kind of noir tropes, and he kills the femme fatale, which you don't you never do that. The other thing about that too is they they introduce a twist, and then they immediately resolve it. So there's yeah. not there's not time for a story development and like oh what are we gonna do now that this new thing has happened? It's just like yeah she's betrayed him, and he's like okay we'll kill her. Well, but also also she she like is running away from this guy that wants the orb but then she just decides to sell it to him yeah yeah um and then like like it was already i was already just like okay this movie's total garbage but what made it even worse is <laughs> but the they fact did have that, sex yeah but that's why i knew it was garbage <laughs> but what made it what made it what cemented itself as garbage is the fact that the the cab the taxi cab driver has some sort of incinerator thing right. that doesn't incinerate his car, it just incinerates the human bodies inside of it, and also not the briefcase full of cash or just like digital bucks that he's got or whatever. But the fact that when he does that to the first guy, like the the radiation, like the way that he gets pulverized, he remains fully clothed, but. When it when he does it to the woman, you get a flash of her side boob, and it's like <laughs> fuck this movie. Why do I have to watch this, this for another? This was eleven minutes in, by the way. Why do I have to watch this for another eighty minutes? <laughs> another reason we should have Uber. Don't yeah. you think? <laughs> um, you're saying like this movie 
forecast so many things about our society. Oh, I agree. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, Prophetic. Also, but the, just uh, again, like the the poor kind of plot development in this uh, throughout the movie, um, like with the bad guys who want the orb. Yeah. They get it, and then they die. Like, yeah. So everything kind of just resolves itself without yeah. ha- without ev- without any characters having to take any real action. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's just in terms of like trying to have a character who is proving to you why they should be uh, like a sympathetic character or 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 a lead character, it just kind of falls apart because you're like, you're just witnessing these things happening in the story, and it doesn't really matter. It seems doesn't really matter what the characters are doing within mm-hmm. the story. Things are just going to play out the way they play out. Um, so that's a good time to talk about the screenplay, I guess. <laughs> by um, Screenplay by Daniel Goldberg and Len Blum. Daniel Goldberg, um, so he's been a longtime collaborator with Ivan Reitman, um, and, and recently he's, he's like the producer of the Hangover movies. Mm. But uh, Ivan Reitman and Daniel Goldberg, they were the ones who were arrested for obscenity charges when they made Columbus of Sex, and uh, that was before they made Meatballs. Um, and uh, I also I noticed in the credits that it was like based on a story by or. Like one of the segments Dan O'Bannon had mm-hmm. some involvement That's with. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think that was the New York City one. Um, what did I have written down? Um, so he was the original writer of uh, the B seventeen segment, Dan O'Bannon, yeah. and and it says he was the writer of Soft Landing, which was the opening. Um, <laughs> Corvette. Animation. Yeah. So. <laughs> Hats off to him. <laughs> Dan O'Bannon, um, I think he was involved with like a lot of uh, fantasy writing and, and uh, comic book writing before he got involved with, before he wrote Alien and yeah. Dark Star. And he was also supposed to have written the screenplay for Jodorowsky's Dune. Right. That's yeah. right. And then Jodorowsky kind of fired him and wanted to do his own thing. <laughs> There's also the uh, the Captain Stern segment. The original story was by Bernie Wrightson. Bernie Wrightson is a co-creator of Swamp Thing, so he's he was long oh, in the okay. uh, comics industry. Um, he actually um, wrote and drew. No, no, he drew the series that got me um, hooked on Batman, Batman the Cult from the '80s. Uh, Bernie Wrightson passed away. Uh, when I was looking this up, I realized he passed away last March, uh, March in 2017. Bernie Wrightson passed. Oh, yeah. Uh, is it is it Moebius or Mobius? Mobius. Um, Mobius, yeah. But he's the original writer of the Tarn segment. Or is that... Is Tarn, a tar, Tarna? Tarna segment, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I think the screenplay, everything was adapted by uh, Daniel Goldberg and Len Blum. Um, Ivan Reitman is also a producer on this one. And uh, one of the funders is Telefilm, or the, the earlier version the Canadian Something Something Fund, which would eventually be telefilm. So, right. Yeah. Is Heavy Metal Magazine, is it a music magazine? No. 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 Yeah, okay. Uh, music by Elmer Bernstein. So that's... <laughs> what? <laughs> I was so surprised to learn that, but there it is. That, I was going to I was, I was gonna say, like, that's probably the only thing... Other than a, other than a couple of the, the songs on the, on the soundtrack... Like that's really the only good thing about this movie is the score. <laughs> people were very forgiving, though. Like, when I was looking at people's reviews of the movie, um, Leonard Malton said it was uneven but great fun on a mindless adolescent level. And I was reading a review 
with the CBC with Anne Marie Fleming. You were just talking about window horses recently. Um, how she was talking about uh, she was a big comic book and uh, animated fan. So she, you know, that that movie holds a place in her heart. She reviewed it to talk about it and realized it's pretty terrible, <laughs> but it's sort of seminal. And she says mm-hmm. a good bookend would be to see Anvil. The story of Anvil, the <laughs> Canadian document. It's not actually a Canadian documentary. It's a non-Canadian talking about two Canadians. So I guess you could okay. call it Canadian. Canadian subject. Matter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and this is. Uh, I mean, the material in this is totally not Canadian, but it's like Canadians got involved in making it. The, there's a there's a large contingent of the SCTV cast who provide voices. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> what else? What else does it collide with? Um, you mean just. Is some influences or what? Yeah. Well, the flavors to me that it had were, again, Peter Max illustrations. It mm-hmm. feels like a little Jodorowsky. Yellow Submarine, which I wrote before I knew that Dennis Potterton, the director, Gerald was one of, Ger- sorry, Gerald, was one of the animators on Yellow Submarine. Oh, cool. So that, and uh, he made uh, shorts for the NFB. Right. That's yeah. right. And, of course, Roger Dean uh, albums and also Cheech and Chong. I don't know if you guys remember the... So beautiful, so dangerous episode. Um, it definitely, it definitely sounded like they were the the segment with the the two pilots that are getting high off of something that they have to like reverse vacuum onto the ground and then sniff up off the ground, which just seems like a really inefficient way to consume drugs. But they, it sounded like they were trying to base their voices off of Cheech and Chong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you, uh, I was looking at sort of a synopsis of each of the episodes because they all just sort of blended into my head as utter nonsense that (laughs) that episode they describe as a voluptuous secretary of the pentagon is abducted by stoned alien wastrels and an oversexed robot (laughs) so really i think that just speaks to the all the content for all 82 minutes of this movie of silliness yeah there was also there was also a weird comment in that in that segment about mixed marriages oh i didn't pick up yeah because because the robot was wanting to marry her and she was like, mixed marriages never work. Like, how do I know you're not going to go off and have sex with the toaster? <laughs> and I guess the implication there is that, like, if you translate that to humans, like, two people of different ethnicities are just are just eventually the relationship will fail because, like, those people want to go back to their ethnicity. That's but right. given that it's being spoken by a white person, the implication <laughs> is that it's only the other ethnicities that, that express this... Um, polyamorous trait? I don't know, but yeah, that was unfortunate. But again, and, it introduces introduces these social <laughs> topics that are still relevant today. Wow. <laughs> and that's why we're talking about how heavy oh, that is still God. in 2018. Is, was there a segment that you found interesting? So the one with the with the the woman that's riding on the the like weird I don't know, like this tauntaun creature, thing, yeah. a flying tauntaun. Yeah, right. so that's the Tarna segment at the end. Yeah, which, which is which is at least twenty five minutes of the running time. Like yeah, that, it seems everything is building toward that. I don't, I don't think that the whole thing is interesting. But I thought that, like the, I, I think the world building elements of all of the segments are are generally pretty interesting. And um, I, I think it speaks to like fantasy writers and, and the comic books and science fiction writers, they're, they're very good at um, world building. Yeah. yeah. But then 
so like she's flying through all of these mountainous landscapes and futuristic cities and everything and i was like okay this is interesting like i'm 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 hopeful that this will go somewhere that it, that the rest of the movie hasn't gone, and then she gets to this this altar of a woman with spread legs, and immediately takes off her clothes and swims up to this thing, and I'm just like, fuck, <laughs> it's just the same shit over again. Was it the vulva that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, there's multiple vulvas. <laughs> like, I, it's just. I, anytime a woman is on screen, there there's no clothes, and it's just, I don't get it. That that seems to be like the main draw of this uh, of this movie, and I wonder if that was the main draw of the magazine as well. I I, I think I I haven't seen a lot of European comic books, but um, they, they just seem um, that they take a lot of time to draw the human figure. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, in the Tarnas segment where she is getting ready for battle because this uh, this uh, civilization has been decimated by the by the evil orb thing, influence of the evil orb. Um, it looked like they were using rotoscope animation technology where they um, they, they film an actor and then they're essentially drawing over it so that the so that they can get more realistic animation. Sorry, more realistic movement in, in terms of uh, yeah. human figures. And it just made the whole thing a lot more gross. Because <laughs> just the amount of time that the camera lingered on her getting dressed. Yeah. Uh, just thinking, like, the amount of time, the amount of people, the amount of artists who would have to, like, slave over this for months. Like, no, I know. <laughs> I had the same thought, even just, just with all, like, the upskirts and, like just side boobs and like just just all of the objectification it's just like how much time had to be spent because at least at least if it's a comic book it's like you know there's a few hundred frames in a in a book or whatever this is this is thousands and thousands of frames and dozens of animators or even if it was like on a uh, even if it was a movie with actors you think that they they finished it in an afternoon you know they had to do that scene but they were finished with it within well, a few hours and this one it, it just would have taken a lot of time to get all of the boobs bouncing just right <laughs> and the nipples looking exactly like old baby bottle yeah nipples <laughs> like so weird and i was reading that potterton coordinated more than a thousand artists animators and technicians from 17 countries to make these boobs involve us <laughs> Um, what was that? What was that really crazy Japanese movie we saw at the Rio animated one? Did you see it? Mm. There was there. It play, I forget what it was, but it it's like this kind of psychedelic freakout movie from the seventies Japanese animation. Oh, it got a restoration recently. Yeah, um, it was like borderline. Well, not borderline. It was it was kind of softcore porn. Yeah, um, yeah, because it is. It's gotten a revival, so to speak, on like the disc formats and in the art house theaters. But like um, that movie had lots of boobs in it, but I didn't feel gross watching it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whereas I just, it's just like, there's just no redeeming aspects of, yeah. of the sexuality in this movie. Yeah. Um, oh, the, the title of that will come to me after we start recording. Or you can look it up on your phone. Well, the, this, the episode Den, which is mm-hmm. the young boy who becomes a bald, muscle-bound person who gets to have sex with the nubile young woman and also with the queen. To me, I'm like, yeah, that whole episode, that's who likes this movie. 12-year-old boys who fantasize about having sex with um, ladies. 
Oh yeah, and yeah. seeing boobs. Well, that one, that one, like that was just like the perfect. This is who's watching this. Mm-hmm. This is who wants to watch this. But but forty-seven-year-old women do not want to watch. No, this but movie. I, I I take issue with that because it's being made by people who are not those twelve-year-olds, and I would hazard to guess that if you looked at the demographics of the people, uh, certainly the people that were going to see it in theaters, like if it did get a theatrical release or anything, there are a lot of pervy men that would be watching this too. I think it's like people, grown men that are still fans of Kiss. Like yeah. I think there's just, there's a there's a part of Arrested Development that the thing you like when you're 13, you like at 53. Yeah. So this sort of thing, you're right. I mean, these animators aren't 12-year-old boys. Yeah. But they are fulfilling the 12-year-old boy fantasy. You know, they're listening to Detroit Rock City and they're seeing... <laughs> boobs it's just it's still this it's just hardwired in to like the thing you liked at 13 yeah, yeah. but that's but i find so that's why I'm, that's why i wanted to kind of bring that up because I, I feel like that's much more like insidious and just gross and, Sleazy somehow. and and like just not good for society <laughs> but whereas whereas like oh it's if it's just 12 year old boys like you know they're just not mature enough yet but there are definitely large groups of men that love this movie and and would People also like Adam Sandler movies, which I also feel are made for 12-year-old boys. So, you know, there's an audience out there. The, the Den storyline, uh, original content was by, uh, uh, original story by Richard Corbin. Um, so that was a long serialized story in the magazine and uh, also featured a lot of prominently drawn dick from what I understand. Or but, as he calls it, dork. <laughs> he doesn't want his dork hanging out. Yeah. Um, it, we did see his dork. We did see his dork, but yeah. didn't want it hanging out, so yeah. he got a piece of uh, cloth or something so that his yeah. dork wouldn't hang out. I thought it was interesting that the uh, that the kid, the black kid, who um, goes into the fantasy world, uh, he's voiced by John Candy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really I, appreciate when people ca- are colorblind when they're casting. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that colorblindness always tends to favor white people. <laughs> um did, did you guys ever see John Carter? Yes, but the Den story is just—I uh, don't know what—I don't know which one came first. But Den is the John Carter story, right? Um, whereas John Carter was like this Confederate soldier, or was he a Union soldier? Anyway, it was during this American Civil War. Hopefully, he was Union. He was hopefully on the right side of history. Yeah, <laughs> he gets—he gets um, magically whisked away to Mars. So instead of just being his regular soldier self he on mars he is super powered and he mm. is involved in this in this um power struggle between uh, these two tribes on mars and he gets involved with uh, rescuing the nubile princess and all the stuff so that's john carter and that's den and i think it that appeals to that um well, I mean, I, what I'm saying was like the, you have the adult version and slightly less lazy, though maybe maybe not less lazy. But the John Carter is like an adult protagonist who goes into this fantasy world and gets to be more than he is. Right. And and then you have uh, a teenager who goes into the fantasy world and he's more than he want than he actually is. And I think that's ultimately the appeal of comic books to its audience is um, you're more than you are. You have a secret identity. You can fulfill this epic quest. Right. You're not just a regular teenager. Yeah. Yeah, but it, like that that doesn't need to be tied to the idea that women are not human and <laughs> should just be treated and objectified in whatever way we well, see. Do they all like, have like, to be chased like Mary Jane? Like John Carter expresses that aspect of male fantasy not at the expense of 
of just saying that 50% of the 51% of the people on earth don't matter. I, well, I don't, I don't think it's the intent of something like John Carter. It's not meant to dismiss the agency of 50% of the population. No, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think that John Carter does do that. No. I'm saying that this shitty movie does that. Um, and most comic books do, let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, that's true. Uh, can, can you say that with authority, though? that most comic books do? I've read at least two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> two of the three main protagonists in Archie are female. I knew Just you were going to bring up Archie. Are they superheroes? <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking about fantasy shit. <laughs> fantasy shit. Um, I think when you delve into fantasy, I think you, I, I think you have to accept that it is unrealistic. And so uh, there's certain consumers of a fantasy product um, are not interested in the agency of women. Uh, I think that can be acknowledged. But yes. I, I, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be hurtful. Um, but um, it can just be negligent. <laughs> yes, yes. I think if we're responsible consumers of fantasy, we know where to draw the line. Uh, I don't. I'm not saying that to excuse heavy metal. I think. I think heavy metal caters uh, um, in titillation and in um, in big boobs. But uh, but it also. It also, like, just makes women victims, doesn't give them names. Like, even the warrior at the end, I don't even think she's her given name. a name. No, or her she, name's no, Sorry, sorry. Her she has a name. Tarna. She has a name, but she does not speak words. <laughs> she doesn't speak words. Just to go back to Den for a moment, the, the, the character in Den, the female character in Den is, is Catherine, and she's also from Earth. They, they had a conversation where he asked her at least her name. <laughs> right. Um. The, the Japanese movie was called Belladonna of Sadness. Oh, yes. Belladonna yeah. of Sadness. And it was... It was Sorry, I didn't, I didn't have to repeat what you said. I just... <laughs> I don't... And I'm going to oh, edit yes. that out. <laughs> that name of the thing that you just said. Uh, yeah, it, I, I thought that that was a good... Just kind of... Let's watch something kind of psychedelic and sleazy. And I didn't feel gross. I didn't either. Yeah. And I actually went... I, I saw it with my now wife, and she didn't feel grossed out. But I, yeah. she just thought it was interesting. It was an interesting way of telling that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I wouldn't watch heavy metal with my wife or, or other women. So I was surprised that Chris wanted to talk about heavy metal. Well, it's one of those things that you know, like everyone was playing the album when I was in you know grade eight. It was a, it was a cultural phenomenon, and the thing that might surprise boys is that girls are also fascinated by boobs because we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to happen. It's fascinating when it happens to somebody. Boobs are as fascinating to us as they are to you. So we want to see boobs too because then we're like, how do we measure up? Is that what a boob is supposed to look like? We don't know. <laughs> is it supposed to have a baby bottle cap on the end of it? Exactly. So we also would stay up until midnight to watch side boob you know, or porkies or whatever, because we also wanted to see boobs. Yeah. So I'm mortified that we all had to spend a hundred minutes of our lives watching this movie, but I have no regrets. I mean, it was, I think, you know, it, it belongs somewhere in the Canadian canon of movies. Sure. It does. Near the bottom. <laughs> Near the bottom, but it's, so does porkies. Or, or being launched out of the canon, perhaps. <laughs> in a Corvette. Yeah. <laughs> Um, talking about just the art of the movie, what surprised me was how ugly it looked. I know. I know. Yeah. 
just just the way that the character that the faces are drawn um, just seem kind of grotesque. Uh, I'm thinking of like the the book ending segment where that girl is terrorized by the orb, and whenever it cuts to like her kind of cringing in horror, her face is just like stretched out in such yeah. a ghastly way. It's like it, it, that. Strangely, it doesn't draw on my sympathy because I'm just distracted by how grossly she's drawn. So I'm not even thinking of like, oh, this girl is 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 uh, is horrified. I'm just thinking the art is terrible. Well, does it remind you at all of like Ralph Bakshi's The Hobbit or Pink Floyd's The Wall? I don't like that animation either. Mm. But I didn't. I don't remember. I don't know if it was gruesome, but I remember thinking, "Ugh, not my thing." I don't remember. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched either of those, but I don't remember thinking the artwork was ugly. I think probably the wa- weren't wowed by it though. Certainly not in the Hobbit. Yeah, the it's wall. The wall. Specific. I just remember it being more, like, because it is more kind of psychedelic. The like you're not really often seeing details of of faces and that sort of stuff close up. Like it's more so just kind of large, like there's like the, the kind of totalitarian scenes where there's lots of people walking around or I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, I, I don't think that the focus of, of that style of animation or whatever they were doing was, was kind of was meant to show the detail that this movie does and right. kind of fails at. Right. Is there another segment you want to talk about? Uh, just just briefly, the the war one, the the B seventeen, yeah. yeah, I want to talk about that one too. Yeah, because I thought that was well. For starters, it it doesn't uh, degrade women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I didn't understand the green orb being the through line for this whole thing. It just I in that one it didn't make sense to me because uh, like the, the green orb seems to be inspiring people to be evil or something mm-hmm. of that. Sort, mm-hmm. um, and so when we go to the the, the B seventeen sequence, it's like the orb is telling the story of, um, well, I don't know what it's telling the story of, but it, it cuts to the scene where it, it seems it like feels it, like it's kind of making a, it's like some sort of kind of Cold War allegory, maybe, and wow, that's, even, that's what I, that's what that. I was wow. that's what I was thinking in the sense of it being this radioactive thing and the nuclear threat and being at war i don't i don't know that's what it made me think of but. oh is that's deep because i didn't get that at that all. is yeah. deep but how would that explain we also we see amelia Earhart's plane right. in that graveyard yeah so is it about the well, that, that the lochnar thwarting advancement of like human knowledge well no i yeah i think then that that was just at the end it was like oh it's the reason for the bermuda triangle <laughs> Right. That's what I got from that. <laughs> yeah. Idea. Okay. Oh. <laughs> well, but they're already dead, right? Because when we see that, when we see the plane at the beginning, it seems to be in space or something. It's not yeah. in a real, um, in the real world. Yeah. So it seems like everyone's dead already. But then they're reliving that they're getting killed by uh, gunfire, and then the orb is like raising the dead so that whoever's the pilot who's left now he's threatened. Yeah. With re dying. Anyway, that's all I can make out of it. I didn't. I don't know. I must have just looked away for a second when I went. I didn't notice that they were dead at the beginning. But the, I mean, yeah, that I, saw, I thought they got turned into zombies. They were dead already. I think when we see the plane and it's like not over Europe, it's like a plane floating through space or something. Oh yeah. Okay. Doesn't that mean they're in the other world? Big questions. I don't know. I think that might just more so be just like a visual cut. 
okay. not a cut, but just like a visual transition. Oh, well, that's possible. Into another story. All right. Yeah. I think the initial time I saw it, um, that was the one that made the most impression on me, just because it was like this war scenario or something. So mm-hmm. that one was not, not the boobs. No, that no. I when I rewatched it, I was surprised how much boob there was. <laughs> So initially, um, I went for the boob, but I came yeah. away with the uh, with the World boob, War Two boob saturation yeah. in that one. Yeah, uh, a few other facts about this terrible movie. Uh, apparently, <laughs> it had a budget of nine point three million dollars, and it grossed twenty million, which seems like a lot of money to me yeah. in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, like I think they did okay, and then of course it became a cult hit once and all the rights the got worked out because yeah. of the soundtrack problems yeah. they couldn't release it on home video so it got sort of snarled up in uh, red tape for a couple of years but I think once it got released it had a huge because mm-hmm. boobs are always of the moment was, uh, I think did it VHS had exist in 1981? yeah it did but it was expensive yeah. so it would have survived as like a midnight screener for a long time because oh, that, so. that was the way to see it yeah, yeah. which makes sense sure yeah I guess but I, I think I would have been super disappointed if I was up past midnight and uh, that's what I saw. Yeah. You mentioned Ralph Bakshi. D- doesn't he have a history of, of kind of making like R-rated sexy stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it any good? It's not my thing. Okay. I, I don't think I'm an art crumb Ralph Bakshi kind of gal. Mm. I'm not th- I don't think I'm that interested in that genre. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the documentary crumb is good. Well, that's a great documentary. Yeah. <laughs> but where you, I would want to take a shower after no, that. No, I know. It's I'm disgusting. So, so grossed out. Yeah. So grossed out. Ugh. Yeah, I never need to see that documentary again. So is heavy metal relevant today? I think you can see like the influences from heavy metal um, in popular culture and in science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, is it any different than watching like a Russ Meyer movie? Like, is it is it any different than like a Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which is just kind of boobalicious fun that no one's supposed to take very seriously? It, at a minimum, I think it's that. Do but you think that by 1981 we were we weren't making we weren't seeing Russ Meyer movies, so that there isn't a place for this? That it is just a blip in a 1981. It was of its time. We never, we never need to revisit it, and it has no future. I, 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 uh, I, I would, I would rather just keep this <laughs> tucked deeply under the covers of whatever twelve-year-old it was made for, <laughs> or twelve to fifty-year-old. Um, but it, your your comment of it being boobalicious and just no one takes it seriously, I feel like I feel like it needs to be taken seriously. Because I feel like there there has to be some better form of entertainment that gives you that enjoyment of just watching something stupid and sexy and whatever, but that isn't also just really gross and hateful and <laughs> just awful. I don't know. Like I I don't think you can just like like I wouldn't be able to watch this and just forget about how poorly the women are treated and just enjoy it for the boobs but they're like like i was like that belladonna sadness or like there have to be other examples i don't know but yeah i think something like the belladonna sadness it's interesting because it is it is artful and it's kind of different from other things and and yeah it doesn't feel super sleazy yeah um and uh and this one just it it seems like it was designed to be an exploitative uh money grab like the storytelling doesn't necessitate t- 
taking it seriously. The artwork doesn't inspire you to like it. So what is its longevity? Is it the music? Is it... Great soundtrack. Okay. So there's that audience that just wants to hear some hard music and see some fantasy artwork and boobs, right? I was kind of perplexed that there's Donald Fagan and Fleetwood Mac, or I guess Stevie Nicks, on the soundtrack. You think it would only be dudes? What's that? You think it would be dudes, but like less sensitive dudes? (laughs) It just doesn't seem like it just doesn't seem to fit the whole vibe. Because you've got like BOC and Black Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what makes it a great soundtrack. Is I think there's some nuggets in there for everybody. I mean, Devo and Black Sabbath on the same soundtrack is pretty radical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were were any of those songs written for the movie, or were they were they were all existing already? I think they were all. Existing. A lot of them were. Uh, oh, I thought I thought from what I read that they were written for the movie. Really? Yeah, because yeah. I think that's, or maybe that's where the rights issues came up. Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't do enough research into that. The Devo one when uh, when Tarnov walks into the bar and they're playing on the Devo was on stage. Like that sounds like something written for the movie. Yeah, yeah uh, agreed. Yeah, it doesn't sound like their regular work. Yeah, the, oh, the, I asked earlier in our in our discussion if the magazine was a heavy metal magazine, and I was asking that because I would have been surprised if it was run by musicians. Because that scene where they where they go into that pub, where she goes into the pub, and and there's the there's the band playing, like it's just very poorly matched in terms of like trying to give the illusion of of these aliens actually playing instruments. <laughs> We've seen it done way better in Star Wars movies. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that. <laughs> Favorite music cuts? Ooh, I love Open Arms by Journey. I love Sammy Hagar's Heavy Metal. The What was the one that you were playing earlier with the drum beat? Was that Cheap Trick? Yeah. Yeah. I liked, it. I, I liked when that came in because mm-hmm. it was like a good little double bass. And I, and I love Steely Dan, but I wasn't familiar with that. Donald Fagan song. I think the best thing about this movie is the cover art. Mm. I think. Yes. Though it is indicative of nothing in the movie. Yeah. It looks great. Yeah. It's all downhill from that. It from is. from yeah. the poster and wow. the soundtrack. All the rest is a disappointment. Oh, yeah. uh, and you asked about its longevity. It did create a PowerPoint typeface. <laughs> oh, and it created a sequel, you guys. Yes. Yeah. They got 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And it was called Heavy Metal 2000. <laughs> and then because because nerds still feel this way about this movie, we've had David Fincher attached to doing a remake. We've had a bunch of people that we all know and respect. Zack Snyder. Like live action or, Wait, or d- animated? Animated. Yeah. You said that we, that we respect and you, well, you then went I, to Zack Snyder. <laughs> well, some people respect surprising. him. And who's the other guy that we? Have? Oh, Gore Verbinski. Ugh. Anyway, those people. Wait, have all... You don't. You don't. Ugh, Zack Snyder. But you. Ugh, Gore well, Verbinski. Because Zack Snyder does this very specific thing that people fucking love. I'm not interested in seeing 300. No, but uh, but people love it. Yeah, I don't, but, uh, I'm not but at least but at least Gore Verbinski made Rango. I agree with that one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but he also made the Mexican and the Pirates movies. He's got to go. He's the Brent Ratner of our generation. Oh no! Wait, isn't the isn't Brett Ratner the Brent Ratner of our generation? Yeah, he is. <laughs> uh. So yeah, um, I am not going to see the sequel. Are you guys going to see no. the sequel? I've no? already seen it. What? Well, when the uh, when the 
was it called Teletoon? It was like Canada's version of the Cartoon Network when yeah. they premiered. That was pretty much the only thing they showed. Are you serious? Yeah, I think every week at Friday at midnight they showed uh, Heavy Metal 2000. Wow. <laughs> All I know is that Billy Idol was one of the voices. I don't remember anything about it though. Oh. Yeah. That's probably really healthy. <laughs> Actually, I will. I will give this movie one thing. Uh, I watched the Emoji movie a couple days ago. Oh, I'm sorry. And that was a that was a more painful experience. Yeah, <laughs> I believe so. it. There was I don't know which, uh, which of these dumb sequences, but there was you know that Adam Sandler movie Pixar. Pixels. Pixels. There was there was a big orb or face suspended in one of the dumb stories that was exactly the cover art for that Adam Sandler movie Pixels. Well, the Pixel movie, I think that's Pac-Man. Oh. Eating him. Was it an orange or yeah. or yellow? I mean, yellow or something. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about Pac-Man later. You, I guess you fell asleep during the eighties. <laughs> I played Ms. Pac-Man before. Yeah. Oh, uh, there was one more thing I wanted to um, point out. There was like a spaceship, um, the one where the secretary gets kidnapped by the horny aliens. Yep. Okay, that spaceship isn't that the isn't that the um, the headdress helmet thing for dead mumps? Oh, oh whoa, yeah, really? it did look similar, yeah. So, again, the influences. But that's also Mickey Mouse. It's, yeah, it's like a ripped-off Mickey Mouse. Yeah. But, anyway, I think there's there's similarities there. Hmm. So, I didn't see that it had the, the ears on the top, but the, the, mm. the head portion mm. looked similar. So everyone recommends this movie. Do we agree? I recommend it above the Emoji movie, but <laughs> below everything else. Is it the worst movie you guys have talked about on your podcast? Oh, no. Uh, really? I think we've talked about worse. Yeah. Well, Porky's is really terrible. I don't know. I thought the Trailer Park movies, Boys movie was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I wanted to introduce a new rating system. Yes. Yes. That I hope will be uh, kind of unique to us, but it's like a, a floating reference point. Um, so we would uh, take this movie and find a reference point to compare it against, uh, which would be... Uh, of something else we've discussed. It doesn't have to be something we've already discussed, just like something that everyone's familiar with. Like if this, like if you said this should, if you wanted to compare this with uh, Pixar's Up, for example, which we're not going to do today. <laughs> oh my God. But then we would go from Up as like the, as the zero point, however we feel about Up. And then we would, we would gauge this um, against Up from minus 10 to plus 10, so that we know how we feel about this movie versus Up. Mm-hmm. But but what is this movie like? It, but does it have to be a Canadian movie? It doesn't have to be a Canadian movie. It's trying. To, we're trying to find a familiar reference point so that we understand why we're having the feelings that we have for this movie. How would you characterize this, though? How, is, it, is, it, is its main thrust that it's a science fiction movie, or that's an animated movie for adults, or is that it's an anthology movie? It's just a sleaze fest. Okay, let's compare it to Porky's. Okay, I haven't seen Porky's. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, well, that's probably because it's Ivan Reitman. Or no, he <laughs> didn't make. No, sorry, that's Bob Clark. That's Bob Clark. That's Bob Clark. Let's yeah. compare it to Ghostbusters. Ivan Reitman, Elmer Bernstein. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like Ghostbusters, so I'd probably say that's it's like. Good. But that that gives you a reference point. Like, yeah. I like Ghostbusters this much. I like this one even less. Yeah. Right? Or I like Blade Runner this much. I like this one more than Blade Runner. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, are we going to go with? Are we going with Ghostbusters? Sure, it's one that we've all seen. 
Okay, so we're we're gonna, we're gonna gauge heavy metal against Ghostbusters. Sure. Okay. I like it. Um, Sounds made up and so arbitrary. That's that's what it is. Um, because of uh, science fiction and Ivan Reitman and Albert Bernstein and yeah. Oh, um, what's his name? One of the other guys in Ghostbusters. Oh, Rick Moranis. Um, no, Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis did oh, some of, of the voices. Yeah. yeah. So Ghostbusters is our is our zero level. How do you put heavy metal against Ghostbusters, Chris? Is there an end number? Like, is it minus, <laughs> minus ten to plus ten? What's minus ten? It's an irredeemably terrible movie. Wow. That's so Ghostbusters would... minus seven. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a. I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to be a defender of it. it. It's a Ghostbusters minus uh, seven for me. So... But it would be minus ten if I thought more highly of Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know what we're talking about next. Do we? Do we know what we're talking about next? What do you mean? Next, next movie? movie? Oh, uh, Leolo? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We had discussed that. It's but on the it's on the table. Yeah. Maybe that's coming up. Cool. Uh, you won't know until you download next time. Yes. It'll also just be announced on the website and on Facebook. Cool. That website that- is filmedincanada.net. And. Uh, we're on Letterboxd. I'm married to a fly, Williams. And Gore Sweater. And Chris Avery with three S's on Instagram. Cool. You can email us at filmedincanada at gmail.com. Leave a review on iTunes. If you do so, you can give us a recommendation for a future uh, movie for us, to, for us to discuss in a future episode. It would be really helpful. Please do that. Cool. And uh, hope you'll listen next time. Yes, please do. Thanks. Bye.